Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. I was reading through some of the news things, and I want to just give you a couple of reminders. Uh, It appears as though a lot of churches are online today, so we've crashed a couple of internet service providers, and I'm being told that you need to, if you're watching, you can encourage other people to simply go to ccsouthbay.org forward slash live stream. If you're having problems, try restarting your computer. I got some instant text updates. Probably some of you got those as well. Um, I also want to remind you that starting tomorrow, we're going to be sending you daily uh, devotionals, and I would really encourage you to go online again, ccsouthbay.org forward slash connect and sign up there. And then as you also are there on our webpage, you can find the give button if that's not available on your current web browser because of the web crash. Again, ccsouthbay.org, you get in the picture here, uh, forward slash give and uh, you can do that as well. I was actually talking to one of our missionary churches yesterday, and they're going through the same things that every church in the world is going through, and that's nobody's uh, in the house of the Lord. And so I want to continue to um, ask you to just simply be faithful so that we can continue to support the churches that we are supporting around the world. It is a blessing to have all this technology, and so a lot of churches aren't able to do this. So um, thank the Lord for his goodness and that we have these wonderful technological gifts and we have the people that the Lord has gifted us with as well. Um, but we've come to study God's word, to do what we always do. I'm taking a little break this morning uh, because I think it's really important for us uh, to be encouraged at this time that could be probably discouraging for some of you, almost assuredly discouraging for some of you. And so we'll get back to our study in Luke uh, this next Sunday. But in the meantime, if you pull out your Bibles, as we always do here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, and turn to the book of James, find the book of Hebrews, go a little past it there, you'll find the book of James, this little tiny book written by the half-brother of Jesus, and some words of encouragement, turning our trials into triumphs. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful. Lord, I'm grateful uh, that we can even have church virtually that, Lord, through the power of the internet and the technology of cameras and computers and, Lord, text, all the things that we've been blessed to be able to use, we we pray that you would now take this time as we're gathered together in living rooms and backyards and patios and porches, uh, places all over this nation, Lord, around the world as people have tuned in, To hear your word, Lord, we don't want to forsake the gathering of the saints. And as we gather virtually, would you bless uh, your church? Your your church is not a building. It's not attached to a place. Uh, It's your people gathered by your name. And wherever we are, uh, you are certainly in the midst of us. Your spirit is everywhere. And so again, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Uh, Use this time for your glory and for your purposes, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, 
Amen. James chapter 1, this incredible book, very short, but very impactful. And it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that James would say that because James was also related to Jesus. And just as was the case with Mary, it's true with James, uh, there needs to be that profession of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only savior. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad at this time, uh, the church was in its infancy and the Jewish people were scattered. And so we come into this place together today in a very, very similar situation. The church is scattered. People are all over the place. Maybe you're watching today from your backyard. I pray you are. Maybe you're in your living room. Perhaps you're still in bed. If that's the case, uh, you won't be able to get this message any other place than online. So you can get it in bed. You can get it in the shower. Uh, you can get it wherever you happen to have some technology available. And so what a blessing it is in that sense that we're experiencing what it's like for the church to be scattered. It gives us a hunger and a desire and a thankfulness for each other because right now we are separated and there's very little we can do about it. And so it will make us, when we get back together, that much more joyful of the beauty of being able to gather. But as we're scattered, just as the church was beginning to be scattered because of the persecution of the Romans, uh, we're being persecuted by a little microscopic virus called the coronavirus. We're, we're separated because we are scattered. And so he writes to this scattered church a very interesting encouragement that I think is for us this day as we gather virtually. My brethren, church, God's people, we who love the Lord, my brethren, the family of God. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And let's face it, this is a trial, amen? This is a tough time for all of us, amen? I'm trying to get you used to still saying amen. I love it when you do that. So if you're in your living room right now, you can say amen. If you're in your bedroom still and you're in your jammies, you can still say amen. Knowing that the testing of your faith here it comes, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, or maybe its perfecting work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Church, this has been hard. It's been hard on everyone. It's been hard on everything, it's been difficult in ways that probably most of us never dreamt of. And as we get to share in this time of suffering, we share in a thing that Jesus said we would do, and that is to go through persecution, to go through trials, to go through tribulations. Now, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to get out and about and go do those necessary things that we're allowed to do. Um, but I have. I ventured out yesterday into the unknown, uh, the great world, the land beyond beyond, if you will. 
And, and as I was out and doing a little shopping, I went to my normal place to buy my normal things. Connie and I made a little list like we always do. And I first forgot it on the table like I always do. And then walked out to the truck and got ready to go to the store and realized I'd forgotten the list. So I went back in and got the list, made sure I had that tucked away in my pocket. And as I got over to Vaughn's there in Torrance, I heard a lady screaming. And why am I sharing this with you? Because people are afraid and people are fearful. But this is a trial that is not bigger than God. And she wasn't screaming for herself. She was screaming for another lady who had just had her entire basket of groceries stolen. And as I thought about it, I was, I was just, I was stunned. And as I'm seeing this whole thing unfold and this car peels out of the parking lot. And after that, a police car from the other side of the parking lot goes flying through. Evidently, 911 had been called and they didn't make it very far with the stolen groceries. It gives us a sense of exactly how people are responding to this difficulty. Now, I, I don't know whether those people were believers or not believers, but I know the world is afraid. And I know that maybe some of you are wondering, you know, what's going to happen when this is all done, if it ever ends. But the things that we're going through, I believe God wants to use to strengthen us. Exactly what James is encouraging the church in. And throughout the totality of Scripture, we find the church and we find the children of Israel in like manner, continually tested continually brought to that place where their faith is put to the test. Because tested faith proves to be real faith, and untested faith proves often to be nothing more than wishful thinking. And so our, our faith right now, church, is being tested. This, this is a biblical principle that causes us to be strengthened and to grow and so some of you are saying, well, well, I don't want to be patient. I don't want to wait any longer. I really don't want to have my faith strengthened. Let me ask you from another perspective. Do you want to be mature in Christ? Because part of maturing in Christ is what we're going through right now. It's taking what we claim to believe and allowing it to be put to the test so that we can know what God already knows. God already knows how you're going to respond. God knows how I'm going to respond. He's sovereign. He can't be taught anything. And so it is we who need to know exactly how strong our faith is. And so God is allowing this time for us to be tested. There are four big picture items here. Because what happens to us is our trials, which are from the outside. And of course, this is a trial. This is from the outside. This is an unseen enemy. Uh, that can come to us from our very best friends, maybe even our spouse or our children, our parents. Uh, it's a microscopic virus. So it is a trial of a great magnitude. It's not like the temptations that are internal. The temptations are to go stock up on five tons of toilet paper. The temptations are to go buy 84 cases of ramen. The temptation is to go pick up stuff you don't need, to store it somewhere that ultimately you're going to probably have it for the next hundred years if you live that long. 
And so we have to be careful to not give in to the temptations from the inside. But in order to survive the trial from the outside, here James is giving us some big picture things that we need to remember. And the first of which is a joyful attitude. Now you're probably saying, Jeff, you're nuts. No, I'm not. Neither was James and the Lord wouldn't write this if it wasn't true. The Holy Spirit authoring these words, notice what it says. Count it all joy. Count every last bit of it. And in speaking of the testing of our faith, count every test of our faith to be something in which we can place joy. So we're to have, in the midst of these trials and tribulations, a joyful attitude. We can have a joyful attitude. Uh, I've already seen God use this crisis for some really good things. Uh, We've learned how to do virtual service here in this church much better than we ever would if we didn't have to do it. And so we're refining things. Yes, we've got some issues with the internet service providers. We can't really fix that. That's out of our hands. But what we can do is find out how best to minister to people should we not be able to gather in the church. And so we're learning that. That's a thing that we could put in the joy column. A second thing here is to have an understanding mind. In other words, when my faith is tested, it helps me think right. It helps me to have that Isaiah 23 mind that when it stayed on him, I have perfect peace, as we saw on Thursday. It's to help me to have a surrendered will. And here's the problem. You see, I don't like surrendering my will. I like to be in charge, and so do you. But nevertheless, Scripture clearly tells us that we are to seek his will. Not my will, but his will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God has a perfect plan. And his perfect plan, whether we like to admit it or not, has allowed this coronavirus thing to capture the entire world's attention. Perhaps the Lord's going to use it to stir revival in this country. And I certainly believe that that is likely one of the outcomes. People are wondering why it is when I was in bonds, I'm smiling and kind of laughing. I I have to admit, I was looking for the stuff to make peanut butter cookies. Connie promised me some of those. And so as I went down the aisle, I got everything. And the one thing I thought I'd have no problem finding was the one thing I couldn't find. It was flour. So what did I do? I gave away that second jar of chunky peanut butter to somebody else who needed one. You you, you see, we're really learning some things about ourselves. You see, I surrendered. I was like, Lord, I don't really need this, and we don't need it. We've got creamy already. And the fourth big picture item here is we have to have hearts that want to believe the promises of God. We have to have hearts that believe the promises of God. Do we really believe the promises of God? Because his word is clear how he feels about us. He'll never leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We, we are his kids. And so no matter what this virus is doing to, to our bodies, day to day we're being transformed and renewed. Our minds are being changed and we're, we're being transformed into the image of the almighty king. 
And so these big picture things, a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, a surrendered will, and a heart that believes God for his promises are essential if we want to turn trial into triumph. If we want to take something that appears bad and watch God use it for good, then we need to do these things his way. You're probably asking, you know, why did this come upon us? And the bigger question would be, why does anyone suffer? But the specific question would be, why do Christians suffer? Well, let me give you a few things that you can think about, write down, put in your notes, and use for later, because this is a very important part of what's happening with us, to us, and through us right now. Number one, top of the list, is that as we go through these trials, as we endure these things with everyone else in the world, we get to endure them from a godly perspective, from a Christ-like position. And so we can then glorify God through them, exactly as Daniel fully understood in his life. He went through hellish situations. As he lived his life in Babylon, as he spent almost his entire life, in essence, in captivity, though he was prone to have a position before the king that was better than everyone else's, he nonetheless was in captivity. And yet in that captivity, he learned to glorify God through the trial. A second thing, and of course, some of you are probably thinking, who sinned? You know, was somebody in my family, was it our country? Are we being punished? It's absolutely true that sometimes God does allow trials in our lives, tests in our life, as chastening before the Lord, exactly as Hebrews declares, James will declare later in this book, the book of Romans declares to us as well there in chapter 14, and of course John, the author of the gospel and the epistles there in 1 John 1, 9. Look, if, if we are being disciplined, we have to confess those things. And I think our nation has some confessing to do. I think many churches have some confessing to do. I think those people who find all of their time useful for condemning other people, for saying things that are hurtful and hateful, maybe they need to figure out a better thing to do with their time and repent of their anger and the things that they're doing. And perhaps that love that should be filling their heart right now will return to them. It's also used oftentimes to prevent us from falling into sin. In other words, there are consequences that God allows to come into our lives to teach us something before it gets bad. Now, me personally, I wish the Lord had given us a a corporate test that was a little less severe, and I think most of you would agree with that. But the truth of the matter is, maybe God is preventing something that's even worse than what's happening to us right now. That could also be the case. And as you think about your own place in all of this, is God speaking to you right now? Or in 1 Peter 4, it reminds us that we can be kept literally by going through these things as we go, you know what, that's not the way we want to go. How about to keep us from pride? How many of us need some type of Pauline thorn in the flesh to bring us back to earth a little bit? To get us into that place that, you know, you would look at your own life and say, you know what, I actually value my brother more highly than I do myself. I'm worried about how someone else feels more than I am myself. I'm thinking about them more than I am myself. 
I'm, I'm not a pro-crime guy. I'm generally pretty swift to say, Lord, get him. But I have to admit, I was brokenhearted over that man that stole that basket of groceries because what's going on in his life that that would be what he would do? And I began to think about him. And on the way home, my eyes welled up with tears and I'm thinking, man, maybe he has no food for his kids. I don't know. But perhaps this thorn in our corporate, our humanness right now is building up our faith for later. And it does do that. It builds our faith exactly as First Peter 1 says. It gives us a backlog of experiential knowledge and understanding in the world of faith that enables us to go through greater things. This certainly, as Romans 5 portends for us, to, to give us a greater spiritual growth and maturity. Now, church, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not done yet. You're not complete yet, and neither am I. Neither is anyone. There's no person on this earth that's arrived at the end goal yet. We all can grow and we all can mature. And as my faith is tested, that's what happens. I end up seeing life from the perspective of maturity and growth. I have things that God is still working out in my life. And when I can't go see my kids, and when I can't go visit my parents, and when I have to go and look at those empty shelves, when I see things the same way other people see them, then even my maturity, though I should be good at that by now, my maturity is brought into question. And my maturity uh, is then put to the test. It absolutely teaches us obedience to the things of the Lord, exactly what the book of Acts shows us throughout its entirety, actually. It's what Paul teaches us there in Philippians chapter 4. You see, I have to obey, I have to be a doer of the word. I have to have discipline. It took great discipline to be in the store yesterday and walk by all these rows of things. It's like, well, we could use that, and we could use that, and we need some of these, and not put them in my basket. Like, well, what have happened? I've never been so thankful for a potato in my life. I had obedience to the Lord. It's like, Jeff, you don't need 10 pounds of potatoes. You need two potatoes. And I asked him, I said, Lord, can I buy four just for the next meal? And he said, yes, you can have a total of six potatoes. Now, why am I telling you that? Because my disobedient, sin-filled heart was like, I'm just going to get me a 50-pound sack. They'll last a while. Even if they grow little arms and stuff out of them, they're still edible. I had to be obedient. I needed to consider my neighbor's need. Trials do that. They're going to put you and me to the test. How about Paul's encouragement to the church? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And now the God of all comfort comfort you in all your trials so that you would be able to comfort others. How many of us are learning new ways to comfort each other? When we get through this, we're going to look back. Man, if you, if you ever get the flu again, you're going to go, so what? If we ever go through a time when there's a bunch of people in our neighborhood are sick, you're going to go so, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, the hat, the mug. I got pencils and pens from that event. 
You see, our problem is we look at things in, in such a narrow way that we rarely let them do what James is saying here is we put them in the right category. We, we count them properly. And a final thing that I would just share from this list of reasons, and we could put another hundred in here, is because the devil hates the church. The reason the internet crashed today was the devil hates the church. It didn't crash on Friday. It didn't crash on Thursday. It crashed on Sunday, the Lord's Day. As every church in America that has the capacity goes online, what do you think the devil's going to do? He hates the church. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, and family, we're in this together. God is testing our faith. He wants to turn this into a triumph for us. He wants to do great things. And to that end, these things that we need to focus on, we need to have a joyful attitude. We need to count it. And the English term that's translated here, count, which comes from the Greek word, is very interesting because it really is an accounting term. It's just simply, look, put the thing in the right spreadsheet column. Put it where it belongs in the list of things in your life. Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples in John chapter 16, he didn't say, if you have tribulation. He didn't say, you might possibly go through rough stuff. He said, when you have tribulation, when you go through trials, when, when the world seems unhinged and unglued, when you go through that, know this, that I've overcome the world. Paul would actually remind the church that, that you're going to go through tribulation. That's actually how you're going to end up in the kingdom of God eventually. Because life is going to be filled with things like this. It's what we do with this trial that's going on right now that really determines how well we're going to, going to do going forward. And I know this is hard for many of you. And I know some of you right now are, are being tested to your limits especially those of you who are unemployed, you're worried about where your next meal's coming from, your house payment or whatever's going on. But I, I'm telling you, the God of heaven and earth has got this. He, he, he has not been thwarted by the plans of the enemy by bringing this coronavirus our way. We should actually be expecting these things. Sickness, accident, disappointments, all these things that come our way generally, we're just simply seeing them now corporately like we have not ever seen. And so as we fall into these things, and the intent there is to encounter or to come across while looking, not a, not a dumb accident like you tripped over something and fell into coronavirus, but this was afoot, the enemy working these things has allowed this to, to kind of come to fruition as this demonic attack in sickness. And at the same time, we've simply encountered it. We've come upon it in our journey through life. Here we are, here's the trial. As Paul says, in, as he's writing to the church, he reminds us that just as much as in all things God is sufficient, 
we have to look at all things as being used by God and all things available to God and all things ultimately being able to turn, be turned to good for God. And so if we begin to allow this thing to be put in the wrong, wrong column of our life, we're, we're not going to see it for what God intended. And so I want to encourage you, church, put this in the right box. God doesn't hate us because of coronavirus. God, God isn't stumped by this virus. God's promises are still true. Sometimes we're just simply looking at things from the wrong perspective. We're counting it incorrectly. Now, I want to share a little story with you that kind of illustrates this. Many years ago, Connie and I were on a little vacation. We were in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had stayed there, and we were kind of going to a couple of different ski resorts and doing some skiing, and we were in Santa Fe, and we decided to go to the old part of the city of Santa Fe, and we're in this kind of this area that's near the mission there, one of the oldest churches in the United States. And there's this row of shops and there's a a Navajo, a Native American weaver who's there weaving a rug. Now, I had always seen copies of Navajo rugs and so I, I understood the beautiful patterns and the things in them. And I was actually thrilled to see someone making them. And we walked into the shop and here's this, incredibly gifted artisan working on a hand-treadled loom, and he's weaving back and forth, and I'm looking at it going, man, this guy really stinks as a weaver. I'm looking at it like, man, who would ever buy this? This is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. It looked literally hideous. There's little tiny threads hanging out of it. It doesn't appear to have really much of a pattern at all. It's kind of just like molt molded shapes. And it's, I'm just like, man, how can this dude ever sell one of these things? And I'm looking at the prices of some of the blankets on the walls and there's some of them are obviously beautiful and there are thousands upon thousands of dollars. And so I didn't want to insult the artist. So I walked over to the person who was in there, who was a salesperson for the finished blankets. And I said, can you help me understand how that's going to sell? And he said something very unique. He says, you're looking at it from the wrong side. That's the backside of the blanket. That's not the finished side. Wait until you see the other side. And sure enough, when you walked around to the other side of the loom, you saw the finished side. All of the clip threads are on the back. All of the things that you would think would make it look terrible that need to be done so it looks beautiful are on the back. All of the stuff that's really the work is on the back. And I think this is a beautiful picture of our lives when we count things properly, when we see them from God's perspective, when we look at the right side of the blanket We then see them the way God intends the beauty of the finished work, this perfection that James talks about coming to bear in our lives. You see, we're not looking at the finished product as we go through this time of difficulty. We're just simply seeing the steps along the way. We're seeing the inconveniences. We're seeing the financial difficulties. We're seeing our kids trapped with Legos in the living room. We're seeing all these things happen that last week were not our norm. This week they are our norm. And we're looking at the unfinished side of the blanket. We have to look forward to the day that it's flipped around. 
and we count it as joy. We put it in the column. We, we absolutely look at what to us today seems to be garbage and recognize that the Lord is turning it into gold for us. We have to, in that sense, have a joyful attitude about what we know is coming. Not what's here, but what we know is coming. I know God's going to use this to make us a better people. He's going to use this to make us better believers. He's going to use this to bring about, I believe, revival maybe in the world, but certainly it should happen here in America. It should cause us to be better neighbors and better friends. It should open the door for us in that sense to even be looking for new ways to be used of the Lord. You see, in that sense, I can stick this in the joy column. I can look around and see a little bit of the other side, the finished side of the blanket. You see, ultimately, our our values determine our evaluations. Our values determine are valuations. It's how you understand with your mind what this trial is doing. You see, if I just look at it from the negative, what I value is me. It's selfishness. If I look at it and God, what can you do with this? And I see it from the perspective of what I value. Jesus said, we're supposed to think of others first. I'm not supposed to think of myself first. Jesus said, I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow, but sometimes I worry about today and tomorrow. You see, what I value, what I value, if I have Paul's outlook, I do not count my own life dear. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If I have the right set of values, then my evaluation of everything is going to be okay. But if I have the wrong set of values, then my evaluation is not going to be okay. And I think people are suffering right now. They're moving their values back to selfishness. My son and my daughter sent me a a movie yesterday on YouTube. And and I got to tell you, I almost died laughing. But at the same time, it was seriously sad because it looked like the zombie apocalypse had come upon Costco because they put out new pallets of toilet paper. And people were fighting over it. It's like, man, if your value is over toilet paper instead of people, they were pushing and shoving and knocking one another down and stealing stuff out of people's carts and doing all this stuff. It literally looked like something out of a 1950s horror movie. If your value is placed in toilet paper, then you're not storing up treasure for heaven, you're storing up treasure here on earth. And so we have to value these things correctly. I'm not supposed to be living in this moment only. I'm to be living for the future. That's why Job could say that he'd have that outlook there in Job 23. He knows that in the way that I take, he's tried me and I'm going to come out as gold. You see, we're being refined by this trial, this difficulty, which is going to go on for a while. And so we need to make the best of it. I want to come out of this better. You know, you, I'm just telling you, self-hypnosis isn't going to help you. The fact that somehow we've managed to leave all the pot dispensaries open, that's not going to help you. 
The fact that you can still go to the liquor store is not going to help you. What's going to help you is turning your life specifically to Jesus right now for his use and for his purpose. And so don't miss this opportunity to grow in that sense, have the right value in all of this. When when trials come, they immediately give us an opportunity to take joy in the Lord. Or we can say, "Ah, why did God allow this? God knows why God allowed this. I may never know why God allowed this, but I know he doesn't allow anything that in whatever we're going through, he's also made a way of escape. That brings to question, what do we really know in that sense? What do we really know? The focus of this passage is on experiential knowledge. You see, I know most deeply that which has been tested most determinately. I know most deeply what has been tested most determinately. So when something specifically has been tested, I know it works. I know exactly what's going to happen because I've been through it. And so church, we're we're going through this in that sense to gain experiential knowledge. And again, I can approve many ways to understand this in my own heart and mind, but I think one that's easiest for all of us. You know, we're not the golden state for no reason. But during the 1840s, when the gold rush here in California breaks loose, you have this influx of people from the East Coast coming to find their fortune in the foothills of California. As they descend on Sutter's Mill and Angel's Landing, as they go up and down all of the rivers of the Western Sierra, they're looking for this precious metal. Occasionally, they'd find someplace and begin to dig in, it'd turn into a mine, But the first thing that had to happen is you would pull out a sample of the ore and you'd take it to an assayer's office. And it was there that the amount of gold in that rock would be determined. How much was that ore worth by the ton? And I think the world has gone mining after dirt, not gold. They've pulled out dirt and tried to convince themselves that somehow this is going to be valuable. Ah, we'll hoard toilet paper or food. That's dirt. That's not gold. Gold is being kind to your neighbor. Gold is being generous. Gold is not fretting and encouraging people. You you see, we're taking our our ore to the assayer's office and saying, look, here's the dirt. Let's see if we can turn it into gold. No, God wants us to be looking for the real thing. And, And sometimes I think we settle for fool's gold. Look, in God's economy, what I'm trying to say to you is these trials actually work for us, not against us. When we test it, when we actually see what's valuable in our lives, it makes us better people. And I know God is going to do that. I know he's going to take this time of trial. But there's also blessing in the midst of all of this. Uh, my brother Rob today tells me he went to Costco and he drove straight to a gas pump at Costco. That's a miracle. That is something that never happens. There's, there's a little tiny piece of good underneath all of this. People talking as they're walking down the street. I witnessed conversations. Yes, they were on opposite sides of the street, but they're waving. 
When's the last time you saw people in your neighborhood waving to each other as if other people's humanity mattered? You see, there's good things coming out of this. This can be used for the Lord's glory. He is working, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a light affliction that is but for a moment that works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so we can grow through this church. You see, my trials that are accounted for properly actually make me a better believer. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm sitting with my bride. I'm appreciating even the the touch of my dog more than I did a week ago. I'm more thankful for my backyard today. And I know some of you don't have one. You live in an apartment, and so I'm not boasting or bragging, but I can tell you I used to look at my yard and go, i got to go pull weeds. Stupid flowers are growing so much again. I don't know what I'm going to, I'm going to go trim them again. Now I'm like, thank you, God, I have a flower. Thank you, Lord, for the simple things. How about thanking God for the fact that we aren't burning $10 billion worth of gasoline a day? There are so many things that if you just look at it, count it, put it in the right column, take it to the assayer's office and say, Lord, is this gold or is this garbage? And put the gold in the gold column and the garbage in the waste bin. Trials cause us growth. And as our faith is tested, look, church, this is a future work for the church, I believe. Because a patiently tested faith, exactly as Romans 5 also reminds us, we glory in tribulations. Knowing that that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope when we see things from that perspective then what is going on right now is actually going to be very useful in the future. Honestly, what's going to be able to compare to this? The things we're going through right now, I hope and pray we'll never go through again. But if we ever do have to go through such things, don't you think we'll be stronger? Don't you think we'll be more ready? Won't we be more mature in that sense about what happens next time? Maybe some of you who bought the frenzy and you now have a garage full of toilet paper, probably next time you're going to go, you know, maybe I won't do that next time. I'm a little more mature. Praise the Lord for his goodness, amen? I pray that we have that patience to grow. I pray that the Lord would move in our hearts in that way. God wants to make us patient because in patience, we really have the proper understanding of every other blessing. And finally, and to close, it's really impatience. It's lack of proper accounting. It's not putting things where they belong that really stunts our spiritual growth. You see, when a child doesn't learn patience, then they're greedy. They're often thieves. They're unappreciative. They lack understanding in everything. They see the true value in nothing. 
they learn to value things when they have to pay for it themselves, when it's out of their allowance, when it comes from their first paycheck, when they have to buy their first car and insure that first car themselves and put gas in that first car. It is that place that you start to mature. All of a sudden, mom and dad look pretty brilliant. But see, children don't like patience and waiting. So I think we need to not be children in this time. We need to be mature believers. As we wait on the Lord, that's when God can use us for greater and greater things. And getting ahead of the Lord has never worked. You can't skip this part of the journey. Ask Abraham and Sarah. Ask Joseph. Ask Job. Ask Paul. When you get to heaven, you're, you're going to meet a lot of people. You go, man, how did you get through it? How, how did Jacob labor for seven years for Laban and then have to labor another seven years for Laban? You had to have patience knowing that the journey was worth it. That what God was doing was that far more exceeding weight of glory. Moses nearly killed the man by running ahead of God. We need to just stay with the Lord in this time. Peter nearly killed a man in his impatience in the garden. Were it not for the Lord Jesus himself, he probably would have been, Peter would have been killed from his impatience. So patience is so valuable. We're learning patience like we probably don't want to learn right now. Brothers and sisters, tested faith. Faith that's tested through trials like what we're going through right now is the only way to be truly triumphant. It's the only way. There is no shortcut. That's how Paul got to where he was singing in the Philippian jail with Silas. That's how Jesus could cry out from the cross to tell us, die, it's finished. That's what happens when you have these four key things, a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, a surrendered will, and a heart that wants to do what God has asked us to do. And so I'm going to ask you to be very patient. Let that work be perfected in you so that as we go through this, we won't be lacking anything. Neighbors can help neighbors. We, we can still do an awful lot of good during this time. And we're going to encourage you to tune in again tonight, 6.30, as we continue our study through the Word of God. Encouragement for one another. Tell a friend. Maybe you can gather one or two together in your living room and have a little mini church, stay socially separated, a few feet apart, six feet. But God's got this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us in our time of need. We thank you that trials produce gold in our lives. And we would ask that, Lord, as we go through this time, we'd be looking for ways to glorify you, learn new things, find out new things about our own lives and areas where we need to change and be matured and grow. Uh, would you help us with our weaknesses, Lord? For those that have great need, would they know that there is help? And so, Father, for those that have the ability to do that, Lord, to pick up a bag of groceries for someone else, to, to go run an errand, to pick up medication, that we would be looking for ways 
to honor you during this time. And so we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for trusting us, Lord, with this trial so that we can be refined and come out of it as gold. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.